Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's September 27th. 1825, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The Cambridge Chronicle and Journal reported the events of today in history in 1825 thusly. In the presence of great crowds of spectators, including many scientific gentlemen, 60 wagons were attached, containing 1,000 persons who were visibly delighted, as were the thousands of spectators. The cavalcade moved by signals, and the whole of this immense mass could be stopped at any prescribed place and moment. On one part of the line, the speed was 12 miles an hour. So what was this extraordinary event being described and did it deserve to cause such delirium? Yes, it definitely did. This was the first ever demonstration of a steam-powered passenger train. And the driver on this day was George Stevenson himself. George Stevenson of Stevenson's Rocket fame. He mounted the engine at Shildon in County Durham at 10am in front of a crowd of about 40,000 spectators. Uh, the firemen on this day were his brothers, James and Ralph. They were responsible for fueling the furnace and maintaining, importantly, the correct pressure in the boiler. And actually, because locomotives at this time didn't have cabs, all three of them were kind of just standing on little platforms on the outside. It was a pretty dangerous undertaking from a modern perspective. So this were world's first steam-powered passenger train went from Darlington to Stockton-on-Tees. It was called the Locomotion Number no. 1. It had actually been transported into place by uh, George Stevenson's workshop in Newcastle by rail, hauled there by horses, uh, and then it was given just two days of trials before the Stockton and Darlington Railway proudly announced that the official opening of the line was ready to take place. And it was this momentous occasion. People travelled for miles from every direction on carriages as well as horseback and on foot to witness this event. And you mentioned, Ollie, about a thousand people being on this train. It wasn't designed to have a thousand people on it. It had seats for about 300 and then people just jumped aboard as it began to move and got involved in it themselves in this just very ad hoc way. Look, they'd only just invented the passenger train. They hadn't invented the ticket. (laughs) They really hadn't. Some posh guests had seated tickets for this momentous <laughs> occasion, obviously. But a, the vast majority literally were just standing up in the goods wagon. Right. They were just so excited <laughs> to be part of this experiment. Indeed, the passenger cabin was even called Experiment. That was the name of the cabin. <laughs> it was just like, is this going to work? Yes, the Experiment was the only coach that was a passenger coach as we would recognise it, you know, with actual proper seats designed for passengers to sit in. It had been taken out the night before, actually, for a trial run with a party of railway directors. And the driver on that occasion was James Stevenson, brother of George, uncle of Robert. The fireman was, for once, not a relation of the Stevensons. <laughs> it was a William Gowling. But that could only accommodate a handful of the VIP passengers. Everyone else was 
sitting in what were essentially coal wagons. They were coal wagons that had been fitted with seats to carry passengers. You know, the whole reason that the the railway was here in the first place was that it was taking coal from the mines in Shildon to the depot points in Stockton and Darlington. So those were the kind of coaches that the train actually had a wagon of flour about 20 of these coal wagons rigged out with seats for passengers and then six more wagons of coal making up a train 122 meters long and they actually stopped in darlington and handed out the coal from the coal wagons to the poor <laughs> as a sort of i don't know what a celebration everyone gets free well coal. it gets even better so they then uh proceeded on to yarm where a further two wagons were added and these extra wagons wagons were not for yet more coal, but Mr. Maynell's brass band. <laughs> and so this brass band then took them onwards to Stockton, where they arrived with a 21-gun salute. I-, I gather at the very end, everyone got off and got drunk. Yes, no fewer than 23 toasts were drunk at the town hall that evening. <laughs> um, but I mean, rightly so, because this was, as it turned out, the British invention, possibly of all time, but certainly of the century. I mean, everything changed mm. after the passenger train, didn't it? You know, we had a commuter class, we had bigger companies develop, not least the train companies themselves, and the accompanying trade unions who suddenly had real power because they could withdraw their labour and if you can't drive the train, you can't get home. There was a boost in tourism uh, to seaside towns, etc. I mean, it was, like I say, the landmark event mm. in a sense of the century. And yet, this particular day that we're commemorating does get forgotten a little bit in train history, because although there were passengers on this train, as we've said, they sort of weren't really. Like the first actual railway line designed to take passengers and goods from the outset, safely from city to city, with a double track, uh, was also involving George Stevenson, but was five years later. Mm. And that was the Liverpool to Manchester Railway which opened in 1830, and that tends to be the one that people commemorate. But here in 1825, here they are, on a train, it counts. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if one reason that it is maybe not especially remembered is because there were quite a few road bumps along the way, not least the amount of time it took to complete the journey. You know, we're talking about taking two hours to travel eight and a half miles to its first stop in Darlington, and just over half of that time was in motion. The other half was stationary. They were addressing various problems. Blockage had to be removed from a valve. A passenger wagon lost a wheel and had to be abandoned along the way. But, you know, giving out all of that coal at Darlington Rail Junction definitely smoothed (laughs) over, you know, the crowds who'd been waiting all of this time. The 15-mile or so stretch of the second leg to Stockton went more smoothly, albeit there was a slight problem because the ground was very level, and this meant that at some stretches the locomotion was travelling at four miles per (laughs) hour. Um, There was also one injury. A man clinging onto the side of a wagon fell and had his foot run over, but that was really more on him. The thing that slightly marred the celebrations of the Liverpool to Manchester railway opening five years later was the MP for Liverpool, William Huskisson, died that day by walking in front of an oncoming train. Mm. Um, and because he was basically the first posh person to be killed, you know, not someone who was laying the track, he was sort of, he sort of commemorated as the railway system's first ever casualty. People weren't used to how trains worked in a way they kind of got away without killing anyone on this day. Yeah, well, except the people who presumably died in the 23 toasts that were being drunk at the town hall at the end. (laughs) (laughs) But George Stevenson himself is such a fascinating character because he was pretty much entirely self-trained. He was the son of a Mm. mechanic uh, and went to work at a really early age without any formal schooling. He actually married really young and in order to earn extra income, he learned to repair shoes and fix clocks and cut cloth and just 
do all of these incredibly practical things. But then after his first wife died, leaving him with a young son, he sent this boy, Robert, to school. And it was through his son's education that he learned mathematics himself. Yeah, and you can see the role that his son played so centrally in his own career in the name of the company that he founded. George Stevenson called his company Robert Stevenson and Company. Mm. And when he founded it, Robert was only 19 years old. And at this point, George was already working as a surveyor for the Stockton and Darlington Railway. And he was trying to sell them on the idea of a steam locomotive. They wanted to build a horse-drawn railway. That's the way that mines Mm. had started operating in this time, was that, you know, if you had a short, repetitive stretch, say, you know, from the mine to the main road where it was going to be picked up or to a port, then you would build a set of tracks and the horses would drag the wagons along the tracks. And what the Stockton Darlington Railway initially wanted was one of his stationary engines for the uphill passages. And it was Stevenson who persuaded them that they should use one of his new locomotive engines. In 1824, they had ordered two stationary engines and two locomotives, each costing £550 to be built by the Stevenson's company. By this day, the company had accumulated £60,000 of debt to build this railway. And they were desperate to start actually making some money before they went under. Yes, but there was an awareness, I think, all over the world that this was going to be a landmark thing that was going to change everything. I mean, Americans who were building the railroad over there came to Newcastle to learn from Stevenson how he built what he built. And indeed, the first dozen or so locomotives utilised in the US were purchased from his shops. So there was obviously a big prize at the end of it, which is why private enterprise was able to build all of the rail track and railways in the UK because they understood where it was going, even though they needed the consent of Parliament to do it. Not everyone was keen, though. Uh, Wordsworth rallied against the steam railway coming to his beloved Lake District and wrote a poem on the projected Kendall and Windermere Railway, (laughs) which is not not one of the great romantic titles, Uh, which begins, Is then no nook of English ground secure from rash assault? Like, it's funny, isn't it? In the world now of spaceports and motorways, where trains are seen as the environmentally friendly option, to remember that some people thought that dirty, smutty steam trains would be ruining the countryside. Well, quite aside from all of the contributions to the design of locomotives themselves, what's interesting about George Stevenson is that he was also solving problems of roadway construction and bridge design and locomotive and rolling stock manufacture. You know, he actually contributed so much in so many different fields. And he was kind of the voice to Parliament often, speaking against those farmers or village people who were concerned about the impacts that the the technology would have on their particular slice of the country. Despite all this lightning speed development, though, it's not as if modern train travel, you know, and we think of it still, the current train setup as being something that we've had since the 19th century, but it didn't come overnight. Mm. It's not as if suddenly there were loads of passenger trains as we know them now everywhere. For example, it wasn't until the 1860s that UK train carriages had corridors. (laughs) So you couldn't leave your compartment during the journey. The ticket inspector had to check tickets at stations and or cling to the outside of the train. Wow. And toilet breaks, therefore, couldn't happen either because there was no way to get to the loo. So um, that is how you ended up with... Lots of um, urine on the seats. (laughs) Well, (laughs) not in 1860, Aaron, no. How you ended up with certain towns becoming... Much bigger deals because they were mandated rest breaks. So Swindon, for example, the train would stop there so that there could be an engine swap and a pee break. Original slogan, Swindon, you can walk around freely and use toilets. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow. 
Why? I mean, no one would be able to verify whether that was correct or not. Well, so it doesn't mean anything. And ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 